Are you over there? Yeah, you. You were now tuned in to the Kitchen Couch Podcast with Nathan Nice. Kitchen Couch. Where you stir it, mix a little ice. Of course, you want the brutal topics, bro. You want the topics that, that radio don't even allow. You want the topics that Illuminati might get scared about. And then juice a couple lemons. And then throw a splash of that. Man, you super late. My fault, family. I just, I had to get something to eat. I'm geeked up and I can't see And all the walls keep looking at me I tell myself there's nothing wrong But I can't stop grinning my teeth I can't sleep, I can't eat I just geek, I just geek And I know I can't take one So why not three? Shit get deep And I go, I keep it real When I geeks, I keep it real In the hood, I keep my still Trying to blow my high you will get killed Cause it's real bank head Real Fabo Real nine I don't keep shit low Roll my blunt right in front of Popo Fuck them hoes They blunt and I'm drunk in the zone I gotta see my partner Scotty baby I wanna fly On and on and I I'm geeked up Geeked up Geeked up Geeked up I'm geeked I'm in the zone. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kitchen Couch Podcast with me, Nathan Nice, aka the Light Skin Bourdain. Now dubbed the Black Bourdain, the Brown Bourdain, the person of color Bourdain. It don't matter. I trademarked it all, my nigga. You feel me? So right now. Right the second, well, after this, you're going to hear me interview Meg the Model, um, Megan Kimberling. And she is a pretty cool person, um, real-life model, a lot of artistic vision and a lot of different types of outfits and, and a lot of looks and stuff. So, um, But she's a plus-size model, which is, or a fat model, or, or I, I don't know how, what they call it, you know, but I say a plus-size model, that's what I... Um, demon as and it's I mean you know like shit I more power to her I, I think a lot of people can really look up to her and or just look to her for some inspiration so you know MeganKimberling.com um, check out her Insta and her Twitter and all that and show her some love and tell her that uh, Nathan Nice from the Kitchen Couch sent you here on the kitchen couch, baby, uh, with the Nathan Nice, getting ready to call Meg the model. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good. Let me turn off my TV real quick. All right, it's a bit. Maybe. Here we go. I've been binge watching Catfish. <laughs> Catfish? Is it on Netflix? It's on season seven's on Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu. Oh hell yeah, that's a bet. Nah, I've been watching. Hey, oh my god, I, I love this show so much. I probably shouldn't, but I do. 
It's crazy. It's crazy because have you ever been catfished before? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. No. I I have. I've definitely been catfished no, before. No, I have. Sorry. I take that back. But it was like, it was, I was catfished, but like, I, it was, like, I was, I was texting this guy, and then I was like, nah, I'm, like, I don't want anything to do with you, so I stopped texting him, and then I started texting this other guy, but it was his friend. It turned out that it was, like, his friend, and then he, like, the guy that I rejected was trying to, like, get back at me through his friend, and then I actually ended up going to the police because they were harassing me, and, like, I was, like, worried for my safety. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, so I actually ended up going to the police and being, like, these guys are harassing me, and I need you to, like, call that, because he was, like, well, um, he's, like, you can open a harassment case, like, if you have, like, enough proof, and it was all, like, via text message and stuff, um, so I had the proof, um, and he's, like, but I could just call them and, like, scare them straight, and I was, like, yeah, let's do that, and so I actually had a Huntington Beach police officer call these kids and be, and be, like, stop fucking with this lady, like, she can press charges, and you don't want that, and they left me alone after that. Damn. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty I cool. I forgot about that until, like, just now. <laughs> you know what? I've been catfished a bunch of times, maybe, like, two or three times. But, like, for me, I don't – I – especially with the online dating community, I, like, basically – if I'm going to message you and meet up with you, I'm already throwing it up in the air as is. So, you know, I'm not, like, expecting you to be exactly what you look like on your pictures. Who knows? A lot of times it is. But sometimes, you know, you get somebody and you're like – whoa, you're a drug addict, or whoa, like, you're kind of uh, mentally ill, <laughs> you know? I've met so many different types That's of people. So crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, I've definitely, like, went to coffee or whatever with, whatever with guys, and they're like, you could tell that they, like, facetune their pictures or whatever, but, like, they were still generally the same person. But I've never been, like, straight up catfish, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I've never experienced it. However, um, I'm back in the dating game, kind of, like, I hate dating, but um, I start, I am on dating, like, apps now, again, uh-huh. and um, I, this guy on, like, POF or something was talking to me, and uh, he would, like, wasn't convinced that I was telling the truth about who I was, and I was like, bro, like, you can't, like, I, I swear to you, like, I am who I say I am, like, I have no reason to lie, right, and, like, there's plenty of pictures of me, like, on my profile and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and he was just like, well, how do I know, and I was like, I don't know why someone would want to pretend to be, like, this fat bitch, but, like, whatever, like, I don't really <laughs> am who I First off, first off, first off, I'm talking to Meg. Uh, She's a model. Uh, What else do you do? Uh, Let's see. I have a day job. Um, I'm a product developer for a design firm in L.A. I basically um, make sure that all of our customers' projects get 
um, produced the way that they're supposed to be. So I'm emailing factories and stuff all day long. And I'm also creative director. So I help brands and models and photographers, like, bring their ideas to life and uh, create, like, marketing information and content and that sort of thing like seo and stuff and uh okay okay so back to what we was talking about though so um what was i gonna ask you so um i actually have it written down so what do you being a plus size woman what do you how do you feel about like the dating culture and all that as far as you know uh body positive and all that so for the most part like the men who message me are generally, like, fetishists, and they're just kind of perverts. Mm. Um, like, across the board, probably 90% of my messages are just, like, you're fat, and that turns me on. And I'm like, that's gross and creepy, and, like, you need to, like, pay a sex worker to, like, figure that shit out, because I'm not, I'm not that. Right. Um. And, like, I've definitely, I've actually told men, like, they try to be all creepy and gross. And I'm like, you know what? Like, go, like, legitimately, I want you to go find a sex worker to, like, work your problems out and, like, pay them. Because, like, that's what they do. Like, that's their their job title. Them or a a therapist. Like, you shouldn't be trolling dating sites looking for fat women to, like, project your problems on. (laughs) Um. But, yeah, dating is just, it sucks. Like, it sucks in general, but then being a proud, confident, fat woman, like, it just, people people think that, like, I should have body confidence issues and that I should have self-esteem issues and that they need to, like, come in and, like, swoop in, like, a knight in shining armor. And I'm like, no, that's not, I can take, I can take damn good care of myself. Like, I don't need a man to come in and do it for me. And, like, I'm not a problem that needs to be fixed. Right. So there's, there's a lot of men who think that I, that, like, they, I need them to fix me. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like, you work on yourself because you, I don't need this bullshit. You know what? I'm And I, honestly, I'm a guy that I have a preference towards plus size women, honestly. But I don't, I don't see my preference as necessarily a, a fetish. Um, and I try to like stay away from that kind of thin line. Uh, what do you think the line is between preference and, cause some people prefer only skinny. Some people prefer tall. Like what's the difference between a preference and a, and a, and a fetish? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the vast majority of humans have a preference of who they're attracted to, which is, is totally fine and normal. I think that's just how we are as humans. Um, but there, yeah, there is that, that line you cross from preference and the fetish. And I think the big, like, red flags are the people that are only attracted to you and only attracted to your size. Mm. Like, that's where the fat fetishes come in. And it's like, no, I'm a human. I have a brain. I have thoughts and feelings and emotions. And the minute that someone tries to objectify me and, like, use me for my body... That's when I'm like, nope, you're done. Like, I'm I'm not your fetish. I'm not an object. I'm not for your sexualization of women. Like, that's not what I'm I'm here for. And like, I I have preferences too. Like, I like to date taller men. Um, I 
generally don't date white guys. That's for, like, political and societal reasons. Right, <laughs> um, right. But, like, like, everyone has preferences, and I get that. Like, I prefer to only date liberals. I prefer not to have conversations with Republicans. That's my preference. Um, Damn, you know it, what? It does. You know what? Sorry to interrupt. It's crazy because... You're okay. I don't want to offend you, but you're kind of having a conversation with a Republican now. But I'm a black Republican, so it's a little different over here. I'm not like Christian, I'm more like the ideology, you know what I mean? Not the people that represent it. The people that represent the party are bullshit, they're racist, they're old, they need to like make over. But I think the ideals of it, minus the Christian culture could be good things sometimes if if not applied to like obviously women's body i'm pro-abortion but i'm like in the sense more libertarian i'm like do what you do you shouldn't be infringed but like don't force anything on me either that's kind of how i'm in a way yeah you sound more like a moderate libertarian than a true republican (laughs) well there's some things that i i don't know i just like because i'm from seattle and like honestly social politics aside i feel like taxation here as far as liberals liberal in seattle is terrible the rich are getting rich and the in the a lot of the liberals up here they don't necessarily know what to tax and how to tax and where it should go to it's kind of like we're just getting taxed for this that no plans so i mean it kind of made me be like okay I'm like taxation without representation. Like, I'm against that, you know? And that's a big thing up here, so. Yeah, like, for example, like, I was going to school at University of Idaho when Washington State implemented that big liquor tax. And oh, yeah. It was, and we felt it, we felt it in Idaho being, you know, 10, 10 miles from the border because our liquor prices went up. I mean, like, I was in the middle of college. <laughs> Right. So, like, our liquor prices went up um, because the Washington kids were coming over to Idaho to buy booze. And mm-hmm. so it was even with our prices going up, like it was still cheaper to buy booze in Idaho than it was to buy booze in Washington. And so like all of those all of the border towns were screwed over by that by that liquor tax because it just Anyone who could drive across the border to Idaho to get booze did. Right, and it right. Just, it totally screwed so many people. And, yeah, like, the, you know, the rich white people in, in Seattle, like, didn't have a problem with it because they were like, oh, well, we're in Seattle. <laughs> like, right. Where else are you going to get booze? Well, if you live on any of the border cities, like, you go across the border and you get your booze. Right. No, and so like up here, not to not to make this political at all, but like up here, there's this thing like, okay, I don't mind like a real ass liberal. I don't even care about people's party affiliations, honestly, if they're good people. But like, and I call myself more of a social Republican, like I like social issues. I'm for that. But I'm just more like, like reform instead of like create a new branch of government type shit. But like, up here there's this thing called rich white democrat and it's like the worst type of person it's like they pretend to care they pretend to be like woke they pretend to be like oh we're all together but like the real shit is very segregated you know obviously they're taxed the poor like a motherfucker stuff like that and so it just kind of like makes you like 
like I don't mind like a real liberal on my level as far as like financially or whatever. And I respect some people that are like, you know, rich or whatever. But like here, it's literally a thing like rich white Republicans or excuse me, rich white liberals. And it's like, oh, like. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a, a, an issue across, across the nation right now is that, um, I was actually just talking about this with my photographer yesterday, um, about how, um, the only way that a Democrat will be able to win the next presidential election is if they get all the black and brown votes. Mm -hmm. Like, they have to secure every single one of these black and brown votes, and if they don't, then Trump's going to continue to be president. And yep. and in order to, like, right now, I don't think we have anyone on the docket that really truly has black and brown voters, like, their problems and their rights and their issues in mind. And it's definitely going to be our downfall. Yeah, I, I like, I kind of, you know, I kind of like Andrew Yang, but... I mean, who knows? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel the same way though. I feel like there's really not know anybody strong enough to beat Trump right now, and so it's kind of like, oh man. Like I obviously, I, I'm not for Trump. Like I don't like his shit. Like if he does something nice, I'll commend him. But like for the most part, it's fuck Donald Trump off top. So I have yet to see him do anything good for this country. So. I mean, he legalized him. He legalized him. So I was like, okay, that's good. And he did one other thing. I can't remember. It, but it was like very minimal. But like for the most part, ninety nine point nine percent of the guy is just inflammatory. So it's kind of like. But anyway, let's change the subject more onto um, you know the, the modeling industry and and how do you really feel about the model industry? I know you said, um, and I hate to compare this because I'm an artist and I, I and I know that you are because we've had a conversation about um, real modeling versus like Instagram modeling uh, or just you know. Yeah. Uh, thotty, thotty modeling, not to disrespect anybody's agency or anything, but that's what I call it. Um, but like at the same time, I feel like models are used as kind of clothing and like art figures. Like, wh how do you feel about the whole, you know, the modeling industry and all that? I mean, the modeling industry is shitty, like every other industry in America at this point. Um, the issue is that it's not just a modeling industry. Like the modeling industry is linked in with your clothing industry. I mean, it's it's all part of the fashion industry. So if you don't have models, it's going to be really hard to sell your stuff. And I mean, there's there there's brands out there trying to eliminate models, and I don't think they're ever going to truly be able to do that. Because you have to humanize your product in some way in order for people to connect, right? Right. So, as far as the modeling industry, like, it's, it's shitty. Like, it's it's a business, and it's ran like a business. And the problem is that if you are an artist, you're going to have a really hard time trying to fit into this business process and, and you know, greater scheme of things. So, it's, I mean, it's just like, it's just like that, you know, the stereotypical, like, artist in the movie that is trying to, like, you know, the struggling artist is trying to sell their stuff and they can't seem to, like, conform to what the art world needs. Well, it's the same thing as, it's the same thing in the modeling world. Like, if you, in order to get an agency, like, you have to bring enough to the table that the agency sees you as an asset. If they see you as a liability, there's no way in hell they're going to put you on the board. Right. Because 
they're you're going to cost them money. You're not going to make them any money. Right. So, so you have to be able to market yourself as an asset to an agency for them to be like, yeah, we can we can use this person to make money. So that's when they, you know, once you once you have the opportunity to get in with an agency, then you're kind of you're depending on the contract, but generally you're pretty much doing what the agency tells you to. So you're going to go on this go see, you're going to be booked with that brand. You're going to do this campaign. Like they're going to book you work and you're going to show up and do it. Mm. If you don't, you're no longer with that agency. Mm. And so being with agencies as well, again, depending on the contract, every contract will be different. And you know, the, the big agencies versus boutique agencies, like all have different you know things that they have you do. But, Generally, once you sign that contract with an agency, you don't really have the option to do very much trade work, which is how a lot of artistic models do their work. So, like, I mean, probably 98% of my work is all done on trade. Like, I don't pay them, they don't pay me, we create stuff, we submit, we do whatever, like, we just want to create photographs right mm-hmm. but if i were to sign with an agency all of that could change potentially could change um depending on the agency right um because they they want you to make money and if you're out there not making money then it's a bad look for them so it, it's so funny that you know because my my background you know i'm i'm a chef i bounced around a bunch of uh, restaurants in Seattle, you know, got fired, quit, you know, because it's basically a bunch of like privileged ass people in the kitchen and, you know, nepotism and shit. So you never get promoted, even though you'd be working hella hard. So I'm like, I'm not. And so I'm kind of like, oh, well, let me do like, I want, I love like Anthony Bourdain. So that kind of got me like to like start interviewing people and talking to people and like getting the story and eating different foods and stuff. So, um, the industry here is so different because it's more like, what do you have for me lately? It doesn't even like, obviously, yeah, the name of the game is money, but it's like, if, if my, if I were making, uh, if I weren't making money off my podcast right away, I would have quit a long time ago. Cause this shit is hard as fuck to like get money, but you just gotta be consistent with shit and people like fuck with you. You sell a little merch you get the respect and it's like in the journalism industry it's it's so you're on somebody else's budget so it's kind of weird it's really you know you're budgeting their time and you're budgeting it's kind of cool though it's cool to put people on platforms and stuff too so but like you were saying the difference is like there's no trade work right whereas this i feel like it's all trade work you you got to find everybody you got to find everything and do everything yourself and do you feel that way as a model? Yeah. Like, do you create stuff on your own and take your own shoots and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, being a being a, a freelance independent model, like, I can do whatever the hell I want because I don't have anyone that I have to, you know, check in with. I don't have anyone that's trying to micromanage me. I don't have anyone saying, hey, why haven't you booked X, Y, and Z yet? Like, I don't have anyone there checking in and checking up on me to make sure that I'm making them money so i totally can do 
whatever I want. I can go months without shooting and no one's going to bother me. I can book four shoots in a weekend and no one's going to bother me. Um, I can, yeah, I have full creative control over whatever I want to do. I am very particular about what brands I endorse or wear or post on my Instagram story. Like I don't, I don't have to make money off of my modeling because I have, I have a day job that, that pays all my bills. So I can be very selective and very particular about what I am endorsing and, and bringing to the world, which I wouldn't necessarily have that freedom to do if I were, you know, signed with a big agency. And that's part of the reason why I go back and forth about being signed with an agency, because if I do sign with an agency, it's going, like, they have to understand that I need... I need so much freedom, otherwise it's never going to work. Right, right. You know, um, I was going to say, my friend, um, I have a friend, and I asked him, you know, what what question would you have to write in? And he said, what would your mind frame be when you're shooting, like, nudity and scandally clad? Now, me personally, I, it's it's not a thing. You're just a regular person shooting in your underwear or nude. But like, is there, you know, is there something to it being plus size? Is there a different, do people treat you differently or? Yeah, it's a, I mean, anytime, well, first of all, we're in America. So anytime nudity is mentioned, like it's automatically horrible. So there's that. Um, But as, as a plus size woman, I think I get, I get, because I don't, so I don't have a family, right? Like, I don't have a husband, I don't have kids. So that puts me in that, you know, single woman category. So people can't come after me like they do Kim Kardashian or whatever. You know, as soon as she posts a naked photo, it's automatically she's a bad wife and a bad mother. Well, right. I don't have that. So, so people don't attack me about that. But what they do attack me, I mean, it's, it's as soon as, as soon as a naked photo goes up it's definitely I become I automatically become an object online so I no longer become I no longer am an artistic model I automatically in the you know the eyes of Instagram like I become a sexual object right no matter like it it doesn't matter so you have like the the middle-aged women that are uncomfortable with their own bodies projecting their insecurities onto you you have the gross-ass men thinking that they that you can that they that you are now like their object and their sex toy and you have everything else in between and you know a very small sliver of of the people that choose to support you or comment their support are you know generally people in your bubble it, you know the people that that you have curate, curated around you. Mm, so mm. As, as a as a fat woman, it it um yeah, being nude in any kind of public forum is always uh interesting. And you get a lot of I wish I was confident like you. You're so brave, and it's just like you know what? Everyone has a body. Like if you want to show it off right. in any way, like you are completely entitled to do so. But like. You don't have to, and and um, 
my my whole thing about you know when I started modeling is like I I wanted to make sure that I brought to the to the platform of modeling and plus size modeling that you don't have to sexualize yourself in order to be a confident person. So I work really really hard, and I have worked really really hard to make sure that. I'm not sexualizing myself in my photos. And again, there's plenty of models that do, and that's how they make their money, and that's how they get famous, and that's totally cool for them. But for me, I want to be that that person that says, you don't have to be sexy and sexual in order to be a confident plus-size woman. And so that, I think, is really important in all of my all of my photos to to represent that right you know and it's interesting that you say that too because like for me i obviously i follow girls that i think look good you know but i do follow so i you know i recently kind of had like this kind of like i don't know what you call it like maybe like a slap in the face by just like the universe kind of in an artistic direction where now I'm starting to see like, you know, it's obviously not just about sexualization or it's not only, it's not about sexualization, but also like being a prop, like being like something that expresses something else kind of like, like it's, it's, it's supposed to be transparent in a way. And like, I think a lot of people forget that, like seeing different bodies presented in, in an artistic fashion because I think a lot of the times, like, when you see on Instagram, and which I've, you know, I honestly, I've followed some, but I'm starting to really unfollow because it it's very toxic, but the, like, the the clips for sale and stuff like that, like, really, you know, like, oh, sex on cam, private Snapchat. I've, I've followed a bunch, mm-hmm. but now I'm kind of, like, stopped following them because it just seems so negative, and it's, like, like, I respect them in that way, but then I'm also, like if I'm not going to put money in my, in their pockets, like why am I just like looking at their photos, you know, unless I'm thinking something artistic about it or like it's more than, it's more transparent than just sexualization. Then it becomes, you know what I mean? It's like, so that, and that, that type of stuff tends to kill my artistic drive when I see too much, just like pure nudity for the, like for, you know, that type of work. So like now I'm like trying to focus more on like positive, women and not that everybody has to fill this role but that's just kind of how you know i was raised to like i don't know respect women and stuff so like yeah i look you know and i might be like a little bit part of like i don't i try not to be misogynist but like at the same time i really try to be very like respectful towards women and not try to be like that guy i really try to just be low pro you know yeah and i mean there's I don't have any issues with plus size women being, you know, cam girls, sex workers, right? Selling pictures like that, you know, you do you boo, right? It's cool. If that's how you want to make your money, that's how you should make your money. But like, I also think that that there is there is a a section that we're missing as as fat people. We're missing. The, the imagery that says you don't have to be 
a sexual object right. in order to be confident. And so over the last few years, we've had all of these, you know, sexy, sens- sensual, you know, totally like all of this imagery pushed on us as, as fat women, especially saying, you know, like, look, fat is sexy, fat is sexy. Like, you can be sexy, be sexy, wear this and be sexy, look like this model, be sexy. And it's like, okay, but we've forgotten to teach fat women how to be confident. Like, if, right. if you can't be confident, you're never going to be sexy. Like, it, like for yourself, like, inside, you know, your, your own head. Like, if you, you're never going to be able to get to that point of being sexy to yourself if you can't learn how to be confident, and I think we are missing this whole, this whole section of teaching plus size women, like, you can go from being okay with your body, to being confident in your body, to being sexy in your body, and we're, we're, we're missing that confidence section, and I was like, I I decided that's where I wanted to be. And also the normalization, it like not, it's just a, a person, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, it it is what it is at the end of the day. It, but it like normalization of it, and that that and that's something that's always been like far fetched because a lot of people, like I see people like um, posting such negativity on there. I'm like, it's it's so much, it's so hard to believe like these are real people and not like robots posting these things because it's like so specific and i'm like like oh you know put on your clothes eat this well it's just like really like this is so childish like just unfollow me like it's not even a big deal you know what i'm saying or just don't right. fuck with me it's all good you know but um you know yeah, I'm, no, it's, it's definitely an issue you know what i'm gonna ask you so how did you get here in your life in this place right now so like i've, I've always been a fat kid so even when I was little, like, I was the chubby one. And so I, I've always been, like, I've always been aware of my size. It was not necessarily an issue. Like, I I grew up, like, we didn't have a scale in the bathroom. My mom wasn't on crash diets. Like, I didn't have that in my life. And I'm really, really thankful that I didn't. Um, but I also had plus-size women in my life. So... Basically, all the women in my family are plus size or at least, like, an average size. Like, we don't have thin women in my family. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, um, but they were all, like, for the most part, all of the people, all the women in my family were, like, okay with their size. Mm. At least, like, the, the fat women in my family. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but when I started to, like, try to date in small town USA, like, I was realizing that, like, I wasn't, like, the skinny cheerleading type, so all of these guys that I was crushing on and, like, you know, you know, shoot my shot, like, they were just turning me down, and then they'd go and, like, turn around and date, like, the head cheerleader, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, me being me, I'm like, well, the difference is that I'm fat and they're skinny, so, like, that started to kind of weigh on me in like middle school and high school but I also had an undiagnosed anxiety disorder Mm. so I was like just like in my head I was like you know what I'm just gonna do everything I want to do and like I'll cry over a boy here and there but like I have shit to do like I need to get out of this town and like I 
I have dreams and plans and like I need to get to college. So like it was an issue, but it wasn't like my main issue that I was dealing with in high school. Right. And then I got to college and I started dating and I'm in college and um, I was actually really lucky enough that uh, studying music and and production, it I was in an in a world where it didn't matter what you looked like um, as long as you, you know, held up your end of the deal. So if it didn't matter if you were 600 pounds or 90 pounds, as long as you played your instrument, sang your part, brought what you needed to bring to the table. Like if you weren't holding up your end of the deal, then we have an issue. But it didn't matter what you looked like. Right. It didn't matter if you were in a gunny sack or a tuxedo. Like we didn't care. Just show up how you're supposed to show up and like do do your shit. Right. So, so in that aspect, it was really, really great that I had that world around me from 18 to 22. Like, it was, it was really important. However, it didn't, like, like, I was still aware that I was fat, right? So, um, like, I dated in college and whatever, um, and then there were things that didn't, you know, go as planned, and... Um, I actually started getting into, like, the, the metal scene, mm. which was, yeah, um, I started getting in the metal scene right when, like, metalcore, post-hardcore, deathcore, like, that was, like, really starting to take off, and um, I quickly realized that I was fatter than, like, everyone in the scene, and that the guys in the scene had a real big issue with fat girls, and so that's when it, like, started to really bother me. Hmm. And um, and I actually, like, the year before I moved to California, so, like, 2010-ish, I actually went to the doctor, and I was like, I need to lose weight. And he put me on an appetite suppressant, and I radically changed my, my caloric intake, and I started working out almost obsessively. Like, I was really close to an eating disorder, uh, looking back. Um, but I lost like 60 pounds. I went from, I went from like 280 back down to 220, like where I was when I graduated high school. And that was like the best thing I thought. It was just like, oh my God, I'm back to where I was in high school. And then like as an adult now, I'm like, why the fuck would I want to be where I was in high school? Like I was a teenager. I wasn't even fully developed yet. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, but so I thought it was, like, amazing. You know, I was back down to, like, a size, like, 14, 16. And I was like, yeah, I look great. And I thought I was going to solve all my problems, right? So I moved to California. And I started going through my whole phase, which not not ashamed of at all. Right, um, right. You got to do it. Happened. I mean, I moved to California from Idaho. Like, it was bound to happen, right? Right. <laughs> so, so I, like, started my whole phase. But then my grandmother died, and I, you know, with life and grief, like, I turned to emotional eating and stress eating, and that's what I did. And I gained all that weight back. And I realized that I was no more unhappy fatter than I was thinner. Mm. And I was like, well, what the hell? <laughs> At that point, you know, everything kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, shit, like, my weight really has nothing to do with the happiness of my life. Like, bad things are still going to happen whether you're fat or thin. Right. Good things are still going to happen whether you're fat or thin. So it's like, 
it's kind of up to you to just kind of accept the way that your body is and mm. and enjoy life for so many other things like why you know why why are we depriving ourselves from the good little things in life like a slice of cheesecake and a you know a bowl of mac and cheese like that's it's not going to kill you and you might just have a better day because you ate that like you never know that might be the highlight of your day right okay right (laughs) it's just it's just you know i i learned being away from my family and and going through this you know my grief and everything that it just life i was tired of counting calories i was tired of exercising more than i should have i was tired of just all of the all of the expectations i was putting on myself Mm. for no reason like it was literally for other people like it didn't it was no longer what i wanted or what i thought i really needed so i was like you know what i'm just gonna make some changes and i did and this you know the confidence that i always I had but never really like grew into I finally grew into and it was just not it was definitely not like an overnight thing by any means right. but it was it was something that once you once I like consciously made that decision to be like you know what I'm gonna live my life for me and no one else everything just kind of flipped 180. Like, I was like, oh, so I can live my life and not give a flying fuck about what other people think. Like, I literally can do every single thing in my life for myself. Right. And it's okay. And I think that as as a fat woman, as a fat person, we're expected to live so much of our life for other people because other people are concerned about us. Other people are uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable around us. Other people have issues with our fatness. And I was like, nope, I'm I'm done. I'm over that. I don't care right. if you have an issue with my fatness because right. I'm okay with my fatness. You know, I, so, I was going to ask you, though. So, so, like, you went from Idaho to L.A. Like, yo, and I've been to yeah. both. I've been to both, and... You know, <laughs> obviously Idaho. I don't know where where in Idaho. Uh, hopefully, you're not at the tip at the at the little skinny part because oh, yeah. that part is oh, yeah. that that's part. Exactly that's the worst part. That's the worst. That was like that. Yeah. The, yeah. And then you go to L.A. where that's they got where some the, black folks. The yeah, they got the black folks and yeah. the and the and the everything down in L.A. Every every type of flavor in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it. I really do. That's crazy. I remember I went, man, I had this, I was with my ex at the time, and uh, we were going to Montana with her family to visit somebody, right? I don't know what the fuck my dumb black ass was thinking, but we we stopped in Idaho. I think it was, um, uh, what, Sandpoint. And it was like, okay. Sandpoint, yeah. I was like, okay, cool, skirt. We pulled out some, like, little burger place. And just the vibe, it was like, okay, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. uh, I'm like, I'm like, I'll take a burger and I'll be in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um. Honestly, I'm I'm not even like exaggerating, but the only people. 
people of color that went to the University of Idaho were athletes. Like, it, I'm 90% confident in that statement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, and I grew up, like, there was a, Me- a Mexican family, a Vietnamese family, I believe. I actually don't know if I ever confirmed that. Like, I don't know if the, I knew them well enough to confirm their ethnicity. Um, I believe they were Vietnamese. Um, and then there was, like, a black kid, but he, I think he was mixed, but he was also adopted by a white family. Mm. Um, wow. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, like, those are the people of color that I knew growing up. Like, for 18 years of my life, like, those were the people of color I knew. There was, like, five. Mm. So, uh, yeah. And then I did, you know, I went to the University of Idaho, and for, for a public university in the middle of Idaho, the, the diversity is actually pretty decent. I mean, it's not L.A., <laughs> but, <laughs> but in context, right? It's not too bad. Um, you could, but you could also tell that, like, all of the people of color were definitely brought in to play sports from, like, warm climates because they were freezing when the snow hit the ground. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, the 6'4 Samoan football players freezing his balls off because he doesn't realize he needs a parka when it's, <laughs> when it's below 50 degrees. Right. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it was, um, I, I, I also have to say that I grew up in a family where, like, it really didn't matter what you looked like as long as you were a good person. Mm. So, like, my parents were never, never racist. Like, never, I mean, I'm talking, like, overtly racist, right? right. Like, I never experienced that as a kid. Right. Um, my, my grandma grandparents are right. uh, uh, on my on my father's side um, but my but um, I yeah so I never like I never grew up with that hatred for people that didn't look like me um, so when I got into college like as, like it, it wasn't it didn't affect me like I was just like this is cool there's people of different cultural backgrounds like I I'm a very curious person so I'm always I would meet someone that didn't look like me and I'm like hey where are you from why you know why are you in Idaho <laughs> like, right you here? right and so um but then I um I was also lucky enough that University of Idaho is home to the Lionel Hampton uh, jazz festival which happens uh yearly and um I got involved in the volunteer program with the jazz festival and I actually was the head of the drive team that was responsible for transporting all the artists and special guests during the festival. And so I ended up meeting world-class musicians, like literally amazing, amazing, talented people, um, that the majority were not white. And that also helped me see, like connect and realize that, there's so much more than white Idaho that I was missing. And so it wasn't, it wasn't scary for me at all to move to 
to LA because of like a culture shock like that I was ready for it I was so ready for it and mm. you know, like if I go back home like I end up missing all the diversity like I walk into LAX and I'm like hey I miss black people like I didn't realize it but right. once I, you know once I go without seeing all that diversity like you you come to miss it like you you real you subconsciously realize that something's not right in your surroundings and then when you see it, you're like, oh, that's right. There was no black people. Like, right. Oh. There was no Mexican people. No this. No Asian people, you know. Uh, exactly. It was, it's funny that you say that, too, because, you know, growing up in Seattle, um, I thought that Seattle was diverse. And it is, in a sense, minus the black people and minus all. I mean, there's some Mexican Latinx people, but not much. Not much. And so, but like I went to a school and the school itself was pretty diverse. So I was like, oh, there's a good mix of everybody. Okay. You know, and I grew up with a lot of Asian people, at least living next to a bunch of Asian people. And (coughs) Ma, hey, Ma, pass me my water. (laughs) Thanks for getting on this bumpy ass ride. I'm your driver for this evening. Nathan Nice, aka Light Skin Bourdain. You're now tuned in to the Kitchen Couch Podcast. Now streaming on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in with the foodie who ain't bougie. Visit that website, kitchencouch.com. Merch coming soon. Stay tuned. Whoa. Until I went to LA, until I went to Dallas, until I went to Georgia, until I went to New York, I was like, oh, Seattle's pretty diverse, da da da. And then I go to New York and I'm like, no. I go to LA, I'm like, no. I go to Dallas, I go to you know, uh, any, any, pretty much anywhere. (laughs) And it's, it's a whole lot more mixed and I'm like, wow. And then now I'm like, want to leave this area, but you kind of get stuck into this bubble. So like you're, so technically, you know, I saw your area code and I'm like thinking, Oh, Spokane. Okay. The bubble from Western Washington to Eastern Washington is night and day. You in Western Washington, You're in the biggest bubble. You you forget that there's everybody's tries to it's very passive aggressive though. That's the one thing that that I don't really particularly like. But like and you go to the the, the eastern side of the state, oh my god, it pff, there ain't shit out there. There ain't nothing there's the school. No, there's a bunch of uh pissed off Republican farmers. Yeah. That's that's about what you get yeah. out there right now. There's there's two universities. There's Ellensburg. Oh wait, three. There's Gonzaga, and then there's Wazoo, and that's about it. Like there's a prison, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like uh, maybe two prisons. Yeah, just... but that's south. I mean, that's the thing though. Is like even in Eastern Washington, like there's still like Eastern Washington is mostly like Spokane and Whitman counties, and then you get up like northeastern washington and that's like a whole nother like subculture oh and yeah then you get down to the tri-cities and like that's a whole nother culture in itself too because they're they're farmers but they're not large crop farmers like the like the lentil and wheat farmers in eastern washington 
And then you go even further, and you get into central Washington, which is where your Ellensburg and your Moses Lake and, like, all, like, absolutely nothing in the middle of Nowhere. the state. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, a, like, it's legitimately a desert. Like, there's nothing out there. It's scary. So, yeah, it's just interesting but like and but you know it's funny too and it's like some of these places i've gone i feel like the quote-unquote most liberal of places like you generally think seattle of a very liberal place and it is but it's liberal in a sense of like this is where we stand on the side of the map whereas like like and I, i i i narrow it down to characteristics like like I always say that that people in Seattle are liberal in groups, but then when they're by themselves, they're very conservative real quick. They're like not trying to talk. They're not trying to, especially with somebody of color. They're like, boop, boop, boop. Gotta go. Thank you. You know, like, like, and it's like, I thought you were liberal. I thought we're all in this together. I thought, you know, rainbow flag and all that shit. Like, I thought, what's up? Like, you know what I mean? And so that's... It's it's so funny too. So like you know, I go to a place like uh like a Louisiana, and I'm thinking like, oh, this is gonna be so racist, and I'm I'm shocked to see the night and day difference because people they were just taught manners too. So it's like, oh, it's so weird. It's just so weird. And it's like L.A. is L.A. is fine, but then when you can start getting to like Orange County, the worst people are from Orange County. I swear. Oh, it's terrible. Oh my god. I actually, so when I when I moved to southern california i actually moved to huntington beach and i absolutely hated it like i was i was borderline ready to come home within about six months i was like this is terrible (laughs) why am i here um but i you know stuck it out and realized that it's just the oc like it's terrible (laughs) um and once i moved to long beach up in la county like everything changed i was like oh it's not you know there aren't terrible bros on every corner right like that's crazy. No, and one place that I really love about L.A., like, because my first couple of experiences of L.A., I disliked it. I was in the hood. I was angry. It was hot. There's roaches. I'm like, yeah. yo, like, what the fuck? And then, I, you know, I've gone there a couple times. Fashion Alley is literally one of my favorite places in L.A. I love it. It's in the middle of Skid Row. It only happens on a certain day. All the Latinx people, they get together and they sell in a bunch of shit. Have you ever been down there? Oh, it's, oh yeah. Santee Alley's fucking crazy. Um, I don't really do well with, like, large crowds. So okay. I have to, like, really want to go down there. <laughs> right. Um, it's also in Skid Row. So it's... There's, um, there's a handful of um, photo studios, actually, right down there. So, um... Most of the time when I'm down there, it's for a shoot. Um, but, like, yeah, I definitely try to avoid it. But also, there's really great deals on a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially so, the fruits. Yeah. The fruits. The chopped fruits with the chili lime type shits. Those are... Woo. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got a fruit guy, like, literally at the, the end of, like, on the sidewalk by my my, my work building. It's great. What does he sell? Oh, it's all the whole fruit. You could get all the fruit, so you could just get one fruit. But yeah, it's, it's just chopped fruit with the chili or lime. Oh, none. You just get fruit. That's but oh. they will judge you because that's what white people get. Oh yeah, though with the, without the spice. <laughs> yeah. Can I just get yeah, a chopped they look mango? Like, is something wrong with you? Like, 
It's supposed to go together. You know that? It's like a churro. Cinnamon, sugar, churro. Like, that's what, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah, you have to have it all together. Spe- speaking on this, um, living in L.A., what are some of your favorite food spots down there? Like, you know. Yo, there is a Cuban spot down here in Torrance called Habana Vieja. Oh, my God. It is so good. Havana. 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 Vieja. Vieja. Okay. Yeah. Um. It's what are you so o- good. What are you ordering there? Uh, everything. So, <laughs> to preference, <laughs> I don't eat seafood. I don't like it. I never have. Oh I've no! I just, I just can't. I know. I know. Um. So anything that's pork, chicken, beef. Like, yeah, sign me up. Um, yeah, I've had so much good stuff there. Oh, there. Mm. They do this um, skirt steak sandwich that is like, oh, my God. They have the best chimichurri. Ooh. Ooh delicious. I love chimichurri. Yeah. Okay, you got the Havana yeah, Vieja. Any, well, give me, like, one more. Uh, actually, I have a, I have a nice little uh place that i really like it's oh Carson. yeah it's called fucking way <laughs> you said fucking what <laughs> fucking way oh my god yeah <laughs> i'm not making it up i promise <laughs> that's the name of the spot um i had i had like Insecure, the show Insecure with Issa Rae. Insecure, have you ever seen I the show? I don't have cable, so I've never seen it. Oh my god, you have to watch it. But it, anyway, Issa Rae. Issa Rae. They eat at this Ethiopian food spot, and I actually went there. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's so good, and like the vibe is crazy. It's a little expensive, but if you ever try Ethiopian food, it's really good, and it's really like it's pretty healthy. Like for like. And it's like, you get a good portion for what you pay for. That's me. I'm all about portion size. Like, if I'm going yeah. fr- to get frou-frou, just let me know ahead. I'll eat a sandwich before I go because I know I'm going to get, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but for me, I'm like, okay, and if it's going to be that good, it, the quality's got to be so much good. If I'm going to spend $14 on a burger, let me know that it's, this is the right. one. 
and I get fries and a drink and some uh, some old shit, salad, oh. something. Speaking of fruit fruit places to eat, actually, um, Portia just opened up a like experience track in in L.A. Portia um, El- Ellen's think- Ellen's wife. No, like like the cars. Oh damn. Porsche. Um, they just opened up this, like, racetrack experience. I think they even might have a museum in it. But they have a restaurant. And it is very, very good. It's all seasonal. And I went there. <laughs> My boss took me because we had some uh, factory visitors in town. Mm-hmm. So we got a little bit fancy. And we went. And it was actually way, way better than we were expecting it to be. Um I actually had, I think I had a pork chop. It was easily the best pork chop I've ever had in my life. Mm. It was delicious. Mm, that's crazy. So, ooh, and they did like grilled peaches. Oh my god. Ooh. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. No, it. Uh, it was so good. That's that's funny. That reminds me of this place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for listening. To the Kitchen Couch Podcast And peep that website Thekitchencouch.com We got all your needs there Go ahead and peep the website You can listen to the podcast Off there I'm also on Google Play, Stitcher Spotify iTunes SoundCloud Feel me? So go ahead and bump this Thanks for listening To the Kitchen Couch Podcast I am Nathan Nice, aka V Light Skin Bourdain, aka Black Bourdain. However, you feel about it, I am the person of color Bourdain. Feel me? Called the Tamarind Tree, and it's right in like Chinatown. I'm blowing up the spot. Ah, ah, ah. But, um, it's literally it's so funny because you go when you're walking to that place it's ghetto it is oh my god and then you go up to the actual where the sign is and it's actually super nice you go inside you forget you're in the middle of the hood it's so crazy right and you're like whoa okay okay you guys are treating me nice and everything the food is pretty good okay and it, and it's not that expensive too and they you know they treat you right and I'm like okay like. And you go outside, yeah. you're like, God damn, I was in the middle of the hood. The middle of it. The, <laughs> right underneath the bridge. Like, right? damn. <laughs> I um, I actually found, I don't even know how I found this spot, but I found it when I first moved to Long Beach. It's this, like, literal hole in the wall it's called Cafe Gazelle, and it's an Italian spot. And mm. it's like, uh, um, father-son ran... Italian spot. The kitchen is like you can watch them cook from the table, and there's only like five tables in the restaurant. Like it's teeny tiny. Oh, that's dope. Um, but it's like the best Italian food I've ever had in my life. And it's like I think maybe maybe a seafood dish might be like fifteen bucks a plate, maybe eighteen for like the real expensive stuff. But like a chicken plate is like twelve, thirteen bucks or something like that. There we go. And it's amazing there we go it's so good mm, and i'm ordering the yeah. seafood for sure it depends too you know like in the northwest people think that 
oh, you know, Seattle, like, oh, off top, you guys have, like, the freshest seafood and all this. But you know what? It's, it's funny because if you're going to get the fresh seafood, you're at least spending $20 a plate or more easily. If, oh, yeah. If you go to, like, a little hole in the wall, you're still getting frozen seafood. It's just funny. It's funny totally. how it works. So it's <laughs> you got to be oh, careful. Speaking of seafood, I totally cannot remember the name of this place. But um, my family was down to visit in August, and of course, my family, you know, being landlocked in the inland northwest, they were like, "Let we need food, seafood. We need good, fresh seafood." And I'm like, "Y'all, I, not my jam. Like, we right. can't help you find a spot." But we did. We found one in like Venice Beach, maybe. Oh man, I don't even know what it was called, but it was um, it was this, it was also a fish market, and. My dad asked to try, like, two different fish that they had, like, on special. He was like, well, can I try it? Oh, it's ceviche. He wanted to know. Um, they had two different kinds of types of ceviche, and he's like, can I try them both? And the chef, like, whipped them up in a little, you know, like, ramekin so he could try it. And then and then we ordered, and it was just the coolest little seafood place, and it was legitimately fresh. Like, you could tell that everything in there was super fresh, like, you know, day of caught like it was amazing that's see that's what i'm looking for a little spot like that a little barbecue a little bam barbecue some and it was fully, mm. it was pretty affordable too i mean it wasn't i would say it was probably right around 20 bucks a plate maybe i had a burger sorry right uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a delicious burger i'm not gonna lie um but yeah my, my me and my four-year-old nephew we definitely had burgers <laughs> That see, yeah, and that's that's because you don't like the seafood. I don't. I just I can't. So I've had I've had fresh caught Alaskan halibut in Alaska, and I still couldn't do it. What about like fish and chips though? Nope, it's disgusting. I can't do it. Oh man, I'm trying to think of like what's the bombest seafood, th- like po' boy. I I mean that's pretty fire. Nope. I no. mean, you could do chicken, po' boy. It all has that. It all has that smell, like it lived in the ocean. It's kind of like salty, and then it tastes sweet. It's a little weird. I could see that, but well, it's like I can't even do seaweed. Like that's disgusting to me. Oh, you don't like seaweed? Oh man. No. So no sushi, yeah. no nigiri. No sushi, not at all. Oh no. man. You I know, know it's funny. I and it's funny because I be thinking because black people like. You know, I me, mean, I'm the foodie who ain't bougie, and I always try to get my people to try like different little things. I'm like, no, 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 try it, try it, try it, try it. Black people do not like raw fish. I love raw fish, but black people do I not. I have to say though, a lot of the black men that I have dated have loved sushi. Oh, gee, okay, shout out to them. <laughs> uh, like, I'm, I'm looking back, like. There's only been a couple of them that were like, nah, no raw fish for me. You know what? Where I live right now, across the street, is literally the bombest. I mean, they have other stuff, too. They have chicken and all that. But it's literally the bombest sushi place next to this place I worked, uh, Yurashiku. Oh, my God. Everything there is just so cultivated and everything's rotating and all this pairing and all the omakase. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, bet. (laughs) You know? Um, so you know what I was going to ask you um, so 
are there are there people that you looked up to you know growing up and and uh who do you look up to now and i was going to ask you if you have like a woman of the month like a female figure for this uh, women's i think it's women's history month or something like that this month yeah i mean i i don't really you know how some people are like oh i love you know michael jordan growing up and like i idolized him like i have thought about this for years and like I don't really remember having someone that I idolized like that as, like, a small child. I really don't remember ever having a person like that. And then when I got into middle school, I really, really looked up to my music teacher. Um, She was fun and quirky, and I was like, I want to be a musician. And so she was that for a while. Um... And then things then things changed in her life and the way that she taught changed when I was in high school. And so I, I there, that's like a whole different story. But um, so in high school, it was um, I didn't, I, you know, I kind of feel like I was just like doing it on my own, kind of. I mean, I've always. I've always really had support from my parents, so I feel like a lot of it, I didn't necessarily, like, I didn't necessarily have someone that I looked up to to idolize or to mentor in that way, but I always had support from my parents, so it's kind of like, do whatever you want to do, we'll be there. You know, you know, know it's funny, too, a lot of times when I ask people this type of question, um, you'd be surprised how many people actually don't say anybody uh, celebrity-wise. Um, me personally, I do look up to some celebrities, but it was because, um, obviously they were non-monolithic. Like, obviously I'm the light-skinned Anthony Bourdain and I love, I looked up to Anthony Bourdain just because he's the closest thing, like as somebody I could see as a, like a legit white ally, like in his essence, not necessarily because he's Black Lives Matter, he's this, he's that, he just... He was that person that's sitting down in Africa talking to the African people. He's in Ethiopia. He's in Thailand. He's in face-to-face, straight up, in the hood. Like, what's good? Um, I love uh, Jesus and Miro. There's somebody, like, just because they literally took what they thought in their heads and literally made a bag out of it. <laughs> that's, like, a super impressive. I love comedians. I'd say Bill Burr is, like, another one for me. But my mom, my mom actually, you know... Probably the, the strongest woman I know. Like, like you probably, like, even to this day, like, I don't know. My mom could kind of even hold her own still, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. my mom's worked in, a, like, a predominantly, quote-unquote, male-dominated industry of, like, carpentry. So, you know, shout-out to her. Wow. She's definitely the, the female figure of the month. And my sister, too. My sister's endured a lot. My oldest sister. She's endured a lot, and, and she just, she's, I fucking, like, I love her, but I hate her sometimes because she's so good at everything she does. She could make a fucking Christmas card. It'd be the best Christmas card you ever received. She'll do this, a painting, and I'm just like, fuck you, dude. I'm over here trying so hard. <laughs> you know? 
I'm laughing because that's how my sister feels about me. Oh my god. It's like everything you fucking do, it's just so like perfect and god and like oh if you wanted to randomly des- tomorrow design a dress or fucking do some graphic arts or something random. You uh, oh you want to be a ballet star. Now you're going to be the best. Like fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how my sister's always felt about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lo- it's a, I, it's not that I I love her for excelling because she's persevered through a lot of shit. So, you know, yeah, that's um. I was so like, is there anybody you want to work with now in the industry that you see like doing their thing and you're like, hey, what's up? Yeah, I mean, I I'm generally like pretty good about. I'm interested in working with you, like, I will definitely slide into your DMs and be like, hey, this is me, I'm awesome, you're awesome, let's be awesome together. Right. Um, so, I I feel like social media has helped that barrier of communication that sometimes, like, hinders us as people from just, like, taking that shot. Right. So, yeah, I, I send a lot of of DMs and just be like, hey, this is me. You want to know more? I'd love to work together. Let's do this. Um, but, I mean, there's always there's always those people where, um, like, the designers and the brands that I would absolutely love to wear or shoot in. Um, no Gucci, though. <laughs> no Gucci. Um, now I have to think about it. Um, there, so there's this company that they basically house all of the like high designer pieces in size ten and up. Mm, so, okay. Yeah, um, it's called Eleven Honore. And um, they, you actually might have caught it during New York Fashion Week. They had, um, oh my god, I totally just forgot her name. She's on Orange Is the New Black. Oh, the one chick, Russia, the the one the new chick came in in time or whatever. What was that chick? In? Michelle something. Laverne Cox. Oh, Laverne Cox. Oh, the the trans the trans lady. Yes. Trans black lady. Okay. She's amazing. Yeah, she is oh pretty my cool. Goodness, she's beautiful. She is um, pretty cool, actually. She did the final walk for them in New York, New York Fashion Week, and it was amazing, per usual. Um, but yeah, just I, I would love to get in there and just like pull all these beautiful clothes and shoot in them because they it's it's like the first place that you can find all of these high fashion luxury brands in one place in plus sizes so it's they're they're really making a mark in plus size fashion because it's the first time you can really find everything in one spot um that you know what and that's funny that you say that too because like i'm always thinking like okay me you know I want everybody to look their best and it's just like i don't understand why they expect like fat women to like wear sweatsuits or something and it's just like what shouldn't they look sexy like what the fuck like come on dude like you know what I'm saying like come on they should yeah, be looking it's, cool uh, too it's gotten better it's gotten a lot better even in the last five 
10 years, definitely. Um, so it, it's growing and it's, and it's expanding. Right now we're having issues, again, not to get political, but um, what I'm seeing kind of on a big picture is that now that we're getting these higher-end brands that are producing clothing for us that we want to buy, we're having issues that women aren't paid as, as much as men, fat women aren't paid as much as men, or even thin women, um, and then you get into, like, anyone who is not white and also fat and a woman gets paid even less. Right. So it's like, it comes into this wage gap and how, how fat people are still discriminated against because of their size, and it's still legal to do so, and conscious or unconscious, you know, subconscious, like, people will always judge you by your weight. So we have this issue where fat people aren't getting paid what they should be getting paid or enough, period. And so all of these these people, these wonderful fat women that would love to buy these clothes, aren't getting the money that they deserve in order to buy these clothes. And so there's this huge, there's just like a gap where now we finally have clothing that is beautiful and that fits us and is ethical and all this stuff, but we can't afford to buy it. Mm. You know what? That's true yeah. too. That's true because you know, I, obviously, me dating, uh, you know, women of that of the figure, a bigger figure, whatever, the uh, or a fat woman or whatever. Like you go into Torrid, I'm like the same shirt that you buy at West Seal be like sixty bucks at fucking Torrid, eighty, a hundred bucks at Torrid. Well, yeah, and, I'm like, yo, what's good? And, and Torrid is shitty, shitty quality. Yeah, like, we're getting. I mean. Yeah, we're getting to this place where, like, there's all these independent designers and, and you know, brands that are, are producing items in the U.S. and using ethically sourced fabrics and all these beautiful, wonderful things. And it's like, yeah, it might be $200 for a dress, but you know where it came from. You know whose hands have sewn it. You know where these fabrics are coming from. But it's like, great. Okay, but I can't spend $200 on a dress. Right. Like, what do we what do we do now you know and it's not because fat women aren't educated or that we're stupid or that we don't have the work ethic it's just that we're not being afforded those opportunities in the workplace that's crazy because i didn't think there was i mean it makes sense that you when you talk about a pay discrepancy between you know men and women and people of color off top like full disclosure like my job right now is it's more production but still food industry and I've been in the field for 10 years or more doing all types of work in the food industry, especially cooking, especially production. <laughs> and it's like, I'm making 1250 on my real daytime job. And I'm like, I, I'm just doing it. Cause it's like, you know, you need some money coming in, whatever, but it's like, it's so fucking like, you know, I, I see the pay discrepancy because I know I'm like the cheapest person there. So like, I'm the first to leave, right. first to get kicked out, last to get promoted. Come on, what kind of like? But uh, you know, I'm like, whatever. I'll just take the blows. It's kind of something to say I'm doing something. You know, I I personally like. You were talking about the model industry and how it's kind of trash, and the food industry is really trash. It's really trash. It's def right. slave labor. Um, always people are always underpaid yeah. and like if you actually like cooking and you actually like that shit you better damn near do your research on the restaurant because 
I've worked with so many motherfucking crazy ass people in the back, fights, you know, drug addicts, cocaine on the table, all types of crazy shit. It is like, I didn't sign up for that shit. You know, I I love it because it gives me a real slice of life, a real slap in the face. I'm that kind of person. I like the real. But as somebody who actually likes cooking and likes, you know, the, the fancy, to be able to cook fancy and talk about the food and the industry is so like, you know, even the most fanciest places you think are trash when you, you know, you go into the back and mm-hmm. talk to the owner right. and you talk to this, they're like, yeah, I don't really fucking care. Like whatever. Like, you know, you're just like, dude, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting paid six bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour. Okay. But 12 hours, they consume your whole day. It's so, you know, and the freelance work is all in pastry. So full <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I um I actually learned uh when I was I was in college and I was looking for a part time job and um, I had an interview as a waitress and I'd never worked in, in food at all uh, or hospitality for that matter um, and so I got to like the final round of interviews and she was like okay well these pay two fifty an hour and then you make tips and I was I my jaw literally dropped yeah I was like excuse me yeah. And she was like, yeah, you make the rest up in tips. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, like, walked out. I make that rest up optionally. What? That's what you're saying. You're saying I optionally could make the rest up. But now I have to basically, and it sucks because you basically have to whore yourself out. If you're going to be getting paid that low, like, fuck yep. that. <laughs> and, you know, people like. Well, and I had to go. I had to go and, like, look it up because I was like, is that legal? And I was like, holy hell it is. Yeah, it's it's like, ridiculous. How? And they how still and they still tax you on your on the shit you're making. So it's just like, what the fuck? Um, so I was gonna ask you, um, wrapping it up here, what what kind of message do you have for like girls in your position or or you know, people seeing you and what what is your message? I mean, for the most part, like I really just want that too because because like i said like i i grown up always having a preference for you know bigger people and i don't know why i don't i don't know and like i have a tattoo i have two tattoos of uh plus size women and it's you know it's fucked up because like the 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 tattoo i got and the reason why i got in the placement everything nobody says anything all they always say is oh you got a fat bitch on you and it's just like there's no art there's no like oh i just got it because you know it just should be tripping me out sometimes. I'm just like, yo, like, it can it be art? Can it be cool? Can it be this? Is there any symbolism? Anything? Right. I just got a fat woman. Like, oh, that's what it is. That's it. Like, 
oh, you like them big. It's like, dude, that's like, you know, and it's just more like to say, like, come as you are type shit. You know what I mean? That's what it, you know, I don't know. It has a lot of meanings, yeah. but. But yeah, so where where can they find you? And if they want to work with you, how do they work with you? I know you got a website or something like that. I do. I'm actually really easy to find online. Um, it's everything you can just search Megan Kimberling and everything will pop up. I um, MeganKimberling.com is where my uh, portfolio and all my all my links to my to my press stuff is my publications. Uh, my creative direction website is actually Source Create. Co. Um, it's also linked on my Megan Kimberling page, uh, Megan Kimberling on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, I believe my Facebook, even uh, Facebook.com slash Megan Kimberling. So I, again, I'm really easy to find. Uh, my email address is Megan at Megan Kimberling.com. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely around. Well, thank you for dedicating your time and, 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 and just shedding some light in your opinions. That's really dope. Thank you for being on the kitchen couch. Stay tuned. All right. Thank you. Thank Th- you so much. No problem. Hey, that was Meg Models. I'm the light skin Bourdain, a.k.a. Nathan Nice, and you're on the kitchen couch. She said, do you love me? I told her only Polly. I only love my bed and my mama. I'm sorry. The kitchen couch. Go to the fucking website. Nathan Nice. Light skin Bourdain, bitch. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to Make the Model. Uh, I am Nathan Nice. Uh, my handle, uh, N-A-T-H-I-N-N-I-C-E. Catch me on a bunch of platforms at the kitchen couch. Catch me there. Catch me on my website, thekitchencouch.com. All one world. All one word, spelled correctly, and yeah, holla.